Hey, United. How you doing tonight? Good, good. Listen, uh, my name is Ashley, and I'm so excited to be here with you all tonight and speaking on this topic. Uh, A couple of months ago, Ryan, the student pastor, who also happens to be my brother, he came to me and he said, listen, I think at some point in the future, I want someone to speak about mental health, that United, and I think it's going to be you. And so then I said, okay, because what else do you say? And um, here I am. And so tonight we are talking about mental health, and that is a huge, huge topic. So what we're kind of um, <clears throat> shrinking it down to a little bit is we're going to touch on depression, anxiety, and suicide, because what statistics show us is that this age group, y'all, sitting right in front of me, middle school and high school, that those are the uh, most common diagnoses being given. Um, And so we're just going to talk about that, but not just mental health, but I also want to pull in uh, God to the equation, right? Because if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and if I love God, then what does he have to say about my struggle with depression or anxiety? You know, what does God have to do um, with uh, mental health? What does he have to say? What does the Bible have to say? And so we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. For those of you who don't know um, what I do Monday through Friday and sometimes Saturday and Sunday is I am a therapist. I'm a mental health counselor. So in college, um, I started out pre-med and then I decided I didn't want to do that, but I've always loved people and I love to watch people and I love to see and, and kind of wonder about what causes people to do the things that they do. It's a question I've always asked myself and, you know, why did she say that that way? And why did he make that look when that person said that? And I wonder what he thinks about this situation and, and I wonder how they're feeling about this. And sometimes I've gotten a little bit caught up in that, but I've always found it so interesting. So I started taking some psychology classes, and I graduated with my bachelor's in that, and then my uh, minor was religious studies. And then I realized real quick, you can't do much with a bachelor's in psychology. So I went ahead and got my master's in clinical mental health counseling. And for the past five, six, seven years, I've been um, a therapist to uh, primarily children and adolescents and their families. Um, I guess you could say my specialty is working with children who have been traumatized, so um, abused, neglected, abandoned, experienced some sort of trauma. I work in the foster care arena, um, but I've, I've worked with a lot of different types of, of diagnoses from anxiety and depression, ADHD, bipolar, uh, personality disorders, um, all sorts of things, and so I, I've I think this is so important, and I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation. Um, You know, I was thinking back this week about when I was in middle school and high school and elementary school, and I was trying to remember, did we ever talk about mental health, depression, anxiety? Did we ever do that, like, in school or at church? And, And I really don't recall too many conversations in the school setting or, like I said, in the church setting about depression, anxiety, all of these things. And so I've wondered a lot, okay, why didn't we talk about it? And why does it seem like these these days, uh, we're, that's all we're talking about. It seems like, you know, I look on my Facebook feed and it's like, here are the 10 reasons that you might have high-functioning anxiety disorder. Or, you know, um, here are the five signs that you're depressed. Or, you know, we see it in the news all of the time. And so it seems like more and more we're talking about it. And I think... What I kind of summed it all up as in my thinking is that I think we're talking so much about it 
because we can no longer afford to stay silent. You see, for generations before us, nobody talked about these things. If you had a cold, you talked about that. If you had a diagnosis of something like cancer or diabetes, you know, that was okay to talk about. But if you had depression, it was like you don't talk about that. If you have anxiety, you don't talk about that. And I think the fear was is that people are going to think I'm crazy, right? People are going to think I'm, like, not right in the head, whatever that means. And so there was this shame. So for generations, people have been suffering in silence. And I believe they've been suffering in silence because there was a veil of shame over this topic. But we're getting to a point in our society where it's like we can't avoid this anymore because it's everywhere. You know, if you think about common issues, um, homelessness, crime rates, violence, child abuse, drug abuse, alcoholism, family conflict, divorce, school shootings, issues in our education system, I believe like a, like a thread running through all of these topics, mental health has something to do with it. And so we can't stay silent anymore. And I was reading up on some of these statistics. I mean, listen to this. Since 2013, the rate of depression in adolescents, which is all of you, um, has increased by 63%. That's insane. Like, that is, a, that is a significant increase. And those are just the people who are reporting that they're experiencing depression or who are actually seeking out help. That's not even counting the people who are just silent about what they're struggling with. Um, They did a study for Duval County students, and this was just recently. They published the results, and they found that one in three high school students in Duval County report depression. That's one in three, and only 30% of those people actually get help. Everyone else just, I guess, deals with it. And then the scariest of all, and I've, I've... just thought so much about this uh, statistic, is that one in five high school students in Duval County report that they have thought about suicide, and then one in five say that they have attempted suicide at some point. So that means if I lined up five of you up here, and you were all in high school, that one of you, for every five people, has attempted suicide. And I know that in a room this size, We have people who have tried, and or you know someone who has tried, or someone who has successfully taken their own life. And so I think we're talking about this because we can't stay silent anymore. This whole idea of you're fine, I'm fine, we're all fine, smile, right? It's it's just not true. And people are struggling, and they're struggling alone, and that is the most scary part, is they're struggling by themselves, and so the beautiful thing about talks like this tonight and that we're start, the fact that we're starting this conversation is what happens is when one person starts the conversation, other people talk, right? So this one's inspired by my niece, Sinclair. Go with me on this. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. The wheels on the bus go round. Around all through the t- there you go. Some of you joined in. So see what happens when you hear a song you know, someone singing, you want to jump in. And the same is true of conversations about mental health. When one person has the boldness 
And I'm, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about a testimony that's going to come later tonight. When someone has the boldness to stand on this stage and talk about their story, oh, that's powerful. And other people are freed from that veil of shame to actually have that conversation too. And so I'm really excited about tonight. A few things I do want to make sure you know. I went to a lot of school, and I have a lot of student loan debt, okay, to get me to a point where I can diagnose people. So please, please, please do not self-diagnose. Do not Google, am I depressed, and take some 20-question questionnaire to find out. We're going to get into asking for help and receiving help, and I want you to do that, but Google is not your friend in this case, okay? The second thing is I'm not your therapist, I am a therapist, but I'm not yours. And so everyone has their own story. And you need to, um, in order to give a diagnosis or anything like that, it needs to be a two-way conversation. This is just me talking at you tonight. And so if you need help in that area, my recommendation, and I'll, I'll voice this again later, is to talk to someone like your parents identify someone that you can go and see and um, have a two-way conversation, not just me talking to you. So that's really important. So what is mental health? I think we hear that word thrown around, so I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. So think about your physical health. The physical health is everything you can kind of like touch. So I can touch my skin, my bones. If I were to slice open my chest, I could hold my heart. Well, I couldn't because Anyway, that's, but you hear what I'm saying, right, is that you can touch those parts of you. Um, it's your, your skin, your bones, your ligaments, your organs, all of those things are your physical health. But we all know that you are more than bones, organs, tissue, right? There's more to you than that. And so your mental health is really encompassing that, those things that we really can't put our finger on. We can't hold them in our hands, things like your personality, your temperament how you feel about situations, what motivates you in certain situations, your, your thought life, things like that. That is your mental health. And so we all have mental health. And it's important, just like with your physical health, to take care of your mind and your feelings and your, your thoughts and all of that stuff. And so mental health, once again, feelings, thoughts, and those things actually, studies show, impact your physical health and vice versa. So very important to not um, neglect your mental health. So let's break it down. What is depression and anxiety then? So let's start with depression. Because I think sometimes what we think is, is, isn't depression just feeling sad? And don't we all feel sad? And isn't anxiety just feeling worried? And don't we all feel worried? And I want to make it clear that, yes, we all feel sad and we all feel worried. It's okay to feel sad and to feel worried. Is anybody here a robot? No. So we are not robots in life is actually really hard, okay? Um, I don't know if anyone's told you, but you have struggles in life, and sometimes it kind of sucks. There are good things too, but sometimes things in life just aren't good. And so when you go through these difficult uh, time periods, you might feel sadness, and that's okay. That is the human um, experience. You might have a big test, and you start to feel worried, and that's actually good that you feel worried because your body releases a chemical called cortisol. Like my body right now is... 
releasing a lot of cortisol. It's the stress hormone. And it's making me, um, my heart's beating a little bit faster. My blood is pumping. But it's helping me to concentrate on what I'm doing and what I'm saying. And so there are healthy levels of anxiety that we all experience. And they're not bad for you. They're actually pretty good for you. So sadness and worry, those are common feelings that we all have. But there is a kind of like a normal range of sadness or a normal range of anxiety. When we're talking about clinically significant depression and anxiety, we're talking about taking it to another level. So I'm going to put up some of the symptoms of depression. So, of course, sadness is one of them. But it's not just, hey, I'm sad today or, hey, I've been kind of sad this week or something happened and I'm sad. This is prolonged sadness over a period of time, sometimes not even associated with any sort of um, event that happens. Like, I feel sad and I don't even know why sometimes. But there are also things like a change in sleep. So oftentimes with people who are depressed, they don't want to get out of bed. They could sleep 12 hours in a night and they want to sleep four more hours. Um, A loss of interest. So it's like the things you once loved, you just don't care about anymore. It's like I used to be on the soccer team, don't care about soccer. Used to hang out with friends, don't care about friends. I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to do anything. That loss of interest. There's also guilty, worthless feelings, a lack of energy. Um, Skip on down to appetite. That's a huge one with depression. Oftentimes people who are experiencing depression either don't want to eat at all, so they end up losing a lot of weight, or they find comfort in food, so they, they gain weight. Um, and then suicide and death preoccupation. It is, you know, it's not everybody who has depression doesn't have suicidal ideation or thoughts, but a lot of people do. And it kind of comes from that, not so much that I want to die, but I just don't want to live. Like, this is just all this pain that I'm feeling. I just want it to stop. And they get to this point where they feel like this is my only option to making it stop. And so that is um, sometimes what happens when people are are experiencing depression. So let's move on over to anxiety. What is anxiety? Because I already said that feeling nervous is okay. You're allowed to feel nervous in life. But anxiety is more of an excessive feeling of worry that kind of never goes away. And it's, it's, once again, it's over a long period of time and it, to the point of it's impacting my ability to function, meaning it's hard for me to succeed at school. It's hard for me to have relationships because it is all-consuming worry. Um, some of the other symptoms that we have are muscle tension. Um, you can't concentrate, low energy, feeling restless, and once again, that sleep disturbance. So it's one, I want you to really hear that it's not just feeling worried that gives you an anxiety disorder. It's over a long period of time, and it's impairing your ability to function. So I just wanted to kind of, I know that's kind of like psychology 101, but just wanted to make sure that we understand that it's okay to feel sad, it's okay to feel worried, but when we're talking about diagnoses, it's, it's kind of at an, a different level. Um, let's see. So what causes these things? Um, I kind of break it down to nature versus nurture. And we're not going to get too much into this, but I I do want you to know that some people struggle from anxiety or depression because they have a genetic predisposition to it, meaning 
it runs in your family tree. Just like certain types of cancer or heart disease can run in your family, depression and anxiety can run in your family. And actually, if you have a parent that's depressed, you're two to three times more likely to be diagnosed with depression yourself. So they haven't singled out a gene like the depression gene, but what they see is a correlation is that it, it's going through entire family systems. And so that is the, the nature part. For some of you, it's kind of in your genetics. It's in your biology. But then there's another side of it, and that's nurture, meaning your environment. Some people um, see an increase in depression and anxiety, and it can be correlated to the environment that they're living in or that they've been raised in. Um, so these are things like your family environment, how people have spoken to you all of your life, your culture, certain events that happen. I think a big one for, for your generation is social media. I don't have the statistics on this, but I could bet my life that social media has something to do with that increase in depression and anxiety because you are constantly bombarded with these images and messages of everything you're not and everything you don't have and everything you should be better at. And it's non-stop. And so I don't even think we realize the profound impact that social media has on our mental health. I think another thing is the culture we live in in America tells you to be better all the time, right? I mean, I worked in an elementary school and kids were throwing up before the FSA, FCA? Do you know what I'm talking about? What's that test y'all take? FSA, right? So kids were, there is this pressure to perform. I have to make straight A's and I have to be a star athlete and I have to know how to play a freaking musical instrument. Like how am I supposed to be so good at all of these things? And everyone tells me if I'm not, then I can't get into college and then I can't get a job. And before you know it, no wonder we have anxiety because our American culture is telling you to perform all the time. Gosh, it's got to be exhausting, isn't it? Is anybody just tired of that? So I think our environment, our culture has a huge part in why we experience certain mental illness. But then I wanted to think about it from a theological perspective, um, from a, you know, believer in God. How do I view these, these mental illnesses? And whenever we ask why, I don't know if we ever love the response we get. Because I don't know if anything is, is fully sufficient when we ask the question why. But I want to give you something, a way my dad explained it to me um, once upon a time that kind of rang true for me. Is that he said in the beginning, when God created the earth and when he created humans, it was perfect. We have no concept of what this is like. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no sadness. There were no tears. People walked alongside with God himself and there was no shame. And then sin entered the world. And sometimes I think as followers of Christ, we think, okay, when sin entered the world, that means that people can do bad stuff now. But that is such a simplified version of what it means for sin to enter the world. I think that when sin entered the world, it fractured the created order in such a way that nothing that we see around us, including our bodies and creation, is how it was supposed to be. When sin came into the world, it's like um, when you throw a, a rock into a, a calm lake, that ripple effect. I think the, the ripple effect from sin entering the world, it broke everything, including our minds, including our bodies, 
including, you know, nature. We have natural disasters now. And so nothing is the way it's supposed to be. And that, honestly, is kind of the best explanation I can give theologically for why we have mental illness. But I do want you to hear that there is a day coming. There is a day coming. The book of Revelation talks about it when there is no more sadness and no more tears. And we are restored to that place that we once were at the beginning of creation. Um, The book of Romans talks about it like this. In verse 20, 20, it says, But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and from suffering. And so I I find some sort of um, comfort in that, that it's not just me, right? We're all kind of in this place where this is not how God created it to be. Now, he comes alongside us, and he wants to walk with us through this, but there is a day coming when all of the suffering and the death and the disease will be gone. And so we look forward to that day. Another question I oftentimes get is, okay, so if people have depression or anxiety, can God heal it? And I would say, absolutely. I believe that, not even, that just a word from the mouth of an almighty God, and he can heal anything. You know, we see it in the Bible. Ryan talked about it um, a few weeks ago in the book of John when the man who was crippled was laying next to a pool. And all Jesus had to say was, do you want to get well? And, and he was up and he was well. And so I think when we think of healing, we think of instant healing. That moment where it's like we lay hands on someone, we put some oil, whatever it is, we pray, and they're healed in an instant. And I believe that God can do that. But I also think back to the man sitting around the pool, and the, the, the book of John says there was a great multitude. So that means if this guy was here, the one that Jesus healed, there were his friends next to him. Why didn't he heal the guy next to him or the ne- guy next to him or the guy next to him, right? And we don't know the answer. For some reason, the Almighty God walked by and saw that man, and he healed him in an instant. So I think there's something called progressive healing. I don't even know if that's a real term. Maybe I just made it up. Anyway, copyright that. Um, But I think progressive healing is not that in an instant healing, but it's over time. And we don't really like the progressive healing thing because a lot of times it requires work on our part. I have seen people with depression and anxiety achieve progressive healing because they've gone to counseling and they've done some really hard work and they've had some really hard conversations I've seen some people um, get on certain medications that levels out the chemicals in their brain so that they can achieve healing. And it wasn't in an instant, and it took time, and it took work. But don't discount the wonder that it is to experience progressive healing. I've seen it as a therapist I've experienced it myself, but I've seen people who are at this really low place. I worked with a girl. She wouldn't even look me in the eye. 
for three months. Do you know what it's like to have 45-minute sessions every week with someone who won't even make eye contact with you? So, so, so depressed. And it's taken years to get where she is now. But it's amazing Her testimony is incredible of the redemptive healing of God, but it didn't happen in an instant. And so for some of you, if you're struggling, I want you to hear, I believe that God can heal in an instant, but I know that's not everyone's story and that sometimes healing is more progressive over time, taking work. You know, I I do think the church kind of the global church, hasn't always done a good job about talking about mental health. And there are a lot of myths or ways of thinking that people still hang on to. Um, One of those is that mental illness is a sin. Um, That, you know, if you were a better Christian, you wouldn't be feeling this way. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Why don't you feel happy? And those messages just put the people suffering into a place of shame and silence. You know, if you're experiencing anxiety, I've had people who say, you should just cast all your cares upon God, and then you'll be great. And I, I know what they're saying, you know what I mean? Like, I know their intention, and I, I, I know that that's scripture, but it's also, it makes me feel like, okay, so I'm just not praying enough? Or I'm not, I don't have an understanding of God, and that's why I feel this way? And those messages bring shame. And shame brings silence. And I don't believe that shame is of God because shame pushes you away from God. When you feel ashamed or when you're feeling that, um, I guess, unholy shame, you want to distance yourself from God. And God's message throughout Scripture is come close. So if you're hearing a message from the church or from um, the enemy kind of in your head that you feel Like you're pushing God away. God doesn't want anything to do with me. God's disappointed in me. God is angry with me because I'm feeling depressed, because I'm experiencing anxiety. I can tell you with 100% certainty that is not God because God's message is always come close. Come close. And so, um, but I know these messages have just been um, detrimental in a lot of people's minds. Another one is that you shouldn't take medication because God will heal you. Do I believe that God can heal? Absolutely. But I think it's interesting that we say this to people uh, suffering from depression or anxiety. You wouldn't, if, if I told you I had a diagnosis of cancer, would you tell me you should not do chemotherapy? I know they told you it would work, but you shouldn't do it because God should heal you. We, we would never say that to someone. We would say, yes, get the treatment. Go, get what you need. But for some reason, when it comes to mental health, everyone thinks you don't need anything that the doctors have to give you because you just need to pray about it. And I just think it's such a double standard. I think that God created doctors. I think God created medications or gave people the ability to, to um, create certain medications because you have... Um, A lot of uh, mental illness is actually due to chemical imbalances in the brain. Dopamine and serotonin are a little out of whack. And so these medications can help you. And so, and I'm not saying that's for everybody, but I do want to really do away with that myth that you should just, you know, suck it up, be a better Christian, pray more, read scripture, and you don't need anything that a, you know, a, a licensed clinician is telling you to do. So what does the Bible say then? 
If the church has been telling us these myths or if culture has been telling us these myths, then what does God have to say? You can't look up mental health in the Bible because it kind of wasn't a thing. Um, I mean, I think it's always been a thing, but it's, it's like dating, you know. Uh, dating wasn't in the scriptures, so you can't find scriptures related to dating. You don't have mental health noted in the Bible. It's a more recent term. So when we don't have direct quotes about certain topics from the Bible, um, I had Miss Lynn, she was a, um, a small group leader for me way back in the day, and she used to say, when you're not sure, go back to the character of God. Read scriptures on who God is and what it says about him in the Bible. And then see where that, see where that leads you in terms of if you're, if you're addressing a topic that's not um, directly uh, quoted in the Bible. And so here's what I did. is I looked up scripture, and I'm really just going to like go through these pretty quickly. But just listen to the heart, listen for the heart of God in all of these scriptures. In Psalms 34, he says, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Psalms 23, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In Psalms 9, it says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. First Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Deuteronomy 31 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never, I'll say it again, never leave you nor forsake you. In John 16, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart. Take heart for I have overcome the world. And so even though the Bible doesn't say mental health, right, we hear themes of depression. We hear themes of anxiety. And every time we hear something about sadness, anxiety, feeling low, what was the common response of our God? Did you hear anything in those scriptures about, hey, pull it together. Hey, you should just pray a little bit more or I'm angry at you or I'm disappointed in you. No. You see, I want to give you peace. Let me help you to carry your burden. Go ahead, put it on my shoulders. Come close. We hear messages of love and of grace and of pulling you out. Not saying, what are you doing down there? How did you get into that pit? That wasn't in the scripture, right? It talks about a loving God wanting to help pull you out of that pit. 
And so any messages of shame that the enemy might be whispering in your ear are not from God because the God that I read in my Bible loves you more than you can imagine. And where there is sadness, he always brings compassion. He is close to the brokenhearted. He is not distant from whatever you're going through. So some action steps I wanted to put together for us. The first one is take back your mind. A lot of times when we think of mental health, we think about feelings. But actually your feelings are very much connected to your thoughts. And how you think about things impacts how you feel about things. And so um, have you ever thought about this, that not everything you think is true? You might really feel like it's true, but I have some out there thoughts sometimes. And not all of them are true and accurate to reality or to who God says that I am. And so something we teach in therapy a lot of times that's actually, um, it's confirmed in scripture, is something called thought stopping, which is just like, nope, I'm not thinking about that. Or thought challenging, which means, here's my thought. Everybody hates me. Sometimes that feels true. Let's challenge that thought. Could look like this. Well, mom, do you hate me? Say it louder. (laughs) Max, do you hate me? Okay, thank you. Ryan, do you hate me? Okay, he used to tell me when I was a kid that he did, but I know he doesn't. Right? So right there, those three people, they just disproved my thoughts. And so that is when you challenge your thoughts, right? Not everyone, okay, the world would be better off without me. Wait a second. No, no, no. That is not true. And you challenge that thought. The book of 2 Corinthians puts it like this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. And I love that because that's something that therapy teaches, but it's confirmed in Scripture. It's taking those thoughts and it's saying, listen, this thought right here, it is not in line with what Scripture says that I am. And it is not even true if I ask the people around me. And so I'm literally going to take that thought and throw it out of my brain. That's what I picture when I'm doing, you know, these thought stopping. So taking back your mind is a huge, huge battle. I'll tell you, my mom was yelling at me last service because I got off stage and I was like, that was horrible and I'm never doing this again, blah, blah, blah. She's like, what are you doing? You're doing the thing that you said not to do. So I'm not very good at this, but I'm a work in progress. We all are. But it's so hard, these thoughts that just, they're so automatic and you believe them so quickly. And so learning to take back your mind and saying, no, 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 no. I am going to confirm who God says that I am not whatever this voice is telling me. The second thing is to develop some coping skills, which is a very therapist thing to say. But basically, if I experience sadness, what can I do to pull me out? You know, if I'm experiencing anxiety, what can I do to calm my body down? And so some things are like deep breathing, mindfulness, yoga. That might not be your deal. Um, Listening to worship music is a huge one for me. Um, Being active in your spiritual community with people who can listen to you and love on you and speak truth into your life. And who you can say, listen, here's what I've been thinking. And I need you to to tell me that I'm wrong, essentially. 
And so developing those coping skills, what do you do when you're low to raise you up? What do you do when you're anxious to calm down? The last thing is to get help. Um, Once again, the shame mentality is going to come in at this point and say, no, 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 you don't need help. Don't share this with anybody. People are going to think you are. If you tell someone, they're going to assume that you, and those thoughts start coming in your head. There is nothing wrong with going to see a therapist. And I'm, I'm a therapist, and I'm like, kind of cool. You know, right? I'm not, I'm like kind of lame, but in in a way that kind of works for me. So not all therapists are bad. You can find one that's kind of chill and I don't know, who you feel like you can talk to, right? It might take some time to find the right one, but it's okay to need to talk to someone. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean, you know, you're going to, you know, end up on, you know, having some psychosis or something. A lot of times we go to the worst of the worst. Sometimes you just need someone to talk to. But here's the problem with middle schoolers and high schoolers is that a lot of times you say, okay, I do talk to someone. I talk to my friend Tiffany, and she's 13. I love Tiffany, but Tiffany hasn't had her phone for three months because she got it taken away because she's been sexting her boyfriend, okay? Tiffany's prefrontal cortex that's right here isn't fully developed. So Tiffany is not the person to go and talk to about your depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideations. Sorry, Tiffany, you're beautiful, you're loved, but you need to talk to an adult, it's, it's nice to talk to your friends to get some of that support, and I love that. But you also need to talk to, the, to an adult because this is some really serious stuff. And you need someone with life experience to guide you in the right direction. And so getting help, talking to someone is so, so, so important. So what do I want you to take away from this? I feel like I just threw... A lot of information at you. But what I want to make sure everyone hears is that over and over again in the Bible, we see a God who loves us at our absolute lowest. A God who loved us so much when we had nothing to give him, when we had nothing to, um, no way to earn his love or affections, he saw the distance that was created between us and him, and he sent his only son to live the perfect life and die on a cross for you and for me. And that very same God that sent Jesus down into the world, he doesn't want you to feel like he's mad at you or angry at you because you're, you're struggling with these issues. His message throughout scripture is come close. Don't push me away. Don't let the enemy whisper in your ear that, that I don't love you because I love you. And I, I want to help bring peace. I want to help carry your burden. And I don't, he may not pluck you out of the storm that you're in, but he surely wants to walk with you through it. And so if you, if you feel like you've been doing this alone, if you've been struggling alone and you feel like, I don't know, it's like every step takes everything that you're made of. And maybe you came into here and you're not even really walking. You feel like you're just crawling. You're barely making it. God is close to the brokenhearted. 
He sees you. He he sees the tears you cry. He sees the anxiety attacks. He sees you when when you're laying in your bed at night and you can't fall asleep and you feel like everything is just swirling around in your brain. He sees you. And he loves you. So don't push him away. Come close. Come close. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I just thank you that you are a God of love. And so many times the voice of the enemy, it gets so loud in our heads. And the voice of the world is so, um, gosh, it's so heavy on our spirit. And God, we begin to think that we're forgotten. We begin to think that you're mad at us, that you're disappointed in us. But God, I thank you for the truth of your scripture that talks that you are close to the brokenhearted. That we can come to you with our burdens and you want to help us carry them. God, I pray for the person in here who in this moment, maybe even before they walked in this place, had thoughts of, I don't want to be here anymore. I should, just, I should just die. I should just take my own life. And God, I just pray that through these words, that through your scripture, that in a supernatural way, that you would restore hope where there was no hope, that you would give peace where there was only chaos, and that you would bring, you would bring just healing that you would bring a boldness, that they would go to someone and they would say, hey, here's what I've been going through. And I I need someone to walk with me through this. And I don't know what it's going to look like, and I'm scared, and I, I um, I feel nervous, I feel embarrassed. I pray that you would give someone that courage here tonight to push through one more day, one more day, that you would give us the um, humility to seek out help when we need it. God, we love you. We're thankful for who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.